0: Well, hey there, my name is Roy and I'm the lead pastor here at Arthur Pentecostal Assembly. And today we're glad that you've joined us for The Light Part 2. We are in this series about Christmas where we're looking at the light of the world. Well, have you ever done one of those personality tests? You know, the kind that you find maybe online or maybe you find it in a magazine where they, they sort of total up your score and then, when you get to the end, you find out, here's the type of celebrity that you're most like, or this is what Disney character you would be, or, or superhero that you most resemble. Well, the other day I did one that attempted to tell you which person from the Christmas nativity scene that you most resemble. Now, I'm pretty sure this is not an exact science, because some of the questions were kind of out there, like, do you like eggnog? Which Christmas movie is your favorite? What are your thoughts on The Grinch? If you were to build a gingerbread house, do you like building it or eating it best? So when I got through all 15 of their seemingly random questions that had nothing to do with the actual Christmas story or Jesus, they seemed pretty confident that I resembled most Joseph from the story. Now, I guess it could have been been worse. I mean, they could have said I most resembled the donkey from the story. But as you sit down to read through the Christmas story, often you'll find yourself relating to different people that are in that story. As you read through the story, who do you tend to put yourself in their shoes or who do you, who, who do you find uh, relevant to you? Is it the shepherds out their own business, just feeling like an outsider until something huge happens that spurs them to action? Is it Mary who's scared yet steadfast to do whatever God asks her to do, even if everyone else doesn't understand? Is it the Magi? Maybe a little curious, not sure what you believe, but willing to seek until you find the truth? Is it maybe Jesus? No. I mean, the one person I don't think anybody hopes that the results come back with is King Herod. King Herod. But there's this chance... There's a chance that there is more Herod in you, or you have more in common with King Herod than you would ever care to admit. Let me tell you why. But first, before we do that, let's give you a little bit of backstory. So just hang with me. A little bit of history here. If you don't like it, didn't like history in school, just, just hang with me. I'll try and make it as interesting as possible. Herod ruled over Judea, the region in Israel to the south, for 33 years. Now Herod had the nickname Herod the Great. Because he was great, great at building. He was great at, uh, at, at creating uh, temples and great at seaports and aqueducts and other types of things. And that's what he was known for. But he was also great at a few other things as well. He was great at playing the political game. So let's back up just a little bit, just a little bit to lead into this before rome was known as the roman empire they were known as the republic of rome which basically just means that they were governed by the people through the representatives that they had that they had voted in and while many other nations around them had kings who ruled over their nations rome didn't want a king but julius caesar i'm sure you've heard that name before became a powerful and very popular political leader in rome how ever as popular as he was he wasn't loved by all in 44 bc he was assassinated this marked the end of the roman republic and it paved the way for a society led by an emperor but first mark antony which was caesar's general and octavian which was caesar's nephew decided they were going to hunt down and avenge the death of of their, their beloved Julius Caesar. And they were going to kill everyone who was associated with that assassination, which there was up to 60 people were associated with that assassination. And so it became apparent that these two men were fit to be co-leaders of the Roman Empire. However, the relationship soured and it became strained, as often it does when one person wants power over the other person and civil war broke out. That's where Herod comes in. Because Herod had been friends with Mark Antony. So you have Mark Antony on one side, you have Octavian on the other side, and they're both opposing each other. And Herod had become friends with Mark Antony and his famous wife, Cleopatra. And he lavished them with gifts, and he hosted dinner parties for them, and he was very close to them. It was Mark Antony that awarded Herod rule over Galilee. This appointment caused a lot of anger amongst the Jewish people because they were now ruled by someone who was not Jewish. Well, when the Civil War broke out, and it was Mark Antony versus Octavian, people had to decide who they were going to back, who they were going to get behind. And of course, Herod got behind Mark Antony, assuming eventually he will become the first emperor of Rome. Well, he was wrong. Octavian defeated Mark Antony, and it was Octavian who became the first emperor of Rome, later known as Caesar Augustus now herod found himself in this really bad position because he backed the wrong person and he'd surely be seen by octavian as a traitor but herod as much as he was a great builder he was also a great politician and so he did something unexpected he took initiative rather than run for his life as a traitor which most people would have done Herod asked for a meeting with Octavian. He walked right into the lion's den. And in this meeting, Herod convinced Octavian that rather than see him as a traitor, focus on the loyalty that he showed to Mark Antony, his opponent. And that same loyalty he now devotes to Octavian. Well, Octavian bought it. In fact, he was fairly impressed with this speech that Herod had had given. And so, in an extremely cunning and courageous move, uh, Herod's intelligence was on full display. It also cemented his place as the ruler of the Israel region. And from it, the, from it, Rome nicknamed Herod King of the Jews. Now, like I said before, Herod had many great qualities. He built incredible structures and buildings and seaports. and He helped rebuild the temple in Jerusalem. But for everything that Herod was great at, there was a side of him that caused his downfall. It was very ambitious. He was extremely concerned about his legacy. And he was incredibly paranoid about anybody who would dare sort of press in on that legacy. Herod had ten wives, a bunch of sons. But because of the paranoia and his need for control and his concern over his legacy, Herod changed his will four different times. He would promote one of his sons as the heir apparent, and then all of a sudden that son would either become a threat, or he didn't see him as a suitable heir, and he would have him killed. And then he would bring one of his other sons into that position, and the same thing would happen. He would have him killed. And eventually, I think his sons were like, okay, Dad, I- I'm good. I-, I-, I don't even want the-, the, king- the king job. But his legacy in making his name throughout history, and having his family on the throne for all of time it became an obsession for him and so he would eliminate anyone or anything that posed a threat he murdered one of his wives he killed so many rabbis in in judea that rabbis no longer wanted to go anywhere near jerusalem it became known that when herod got into one of his rages or paranoia crept in look out so when we get, by the time we get to the biblical narrative, we've now made it all the way back to the Christmas story. By the time the Bible mentions Herod, King Herod is about 70 years old, and he has a kidney disease. A very painful, debilitating kidney disease. And he's sensing that his life is coming to an end, and so now he's, he's, doing all, he's tying up all the loose ends and controlling his legacy. He's trying to put into place all the pieces that need to be put into place. And and he's trying to make sure his his name and his family name reigns on and carries on forever. And this is when he gets the most disturbing news. Word comes in that 10.3 kilometers to the south, in a nothing little village, there is a new king. A king that is still learning to walk and eating arrowroot cookies. And here's how Matthew introduces the entrance of Jesus. In Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his stars that rose, and we have come to worship him. So now imagine this for a moment. Imagine this caravan of magi arrive in Jerusalem and They're now asking people around town, where is the newborn king of Jews? We are looking for the king of Jews. Has anybody seen the new king of the Jews? And remember, this is the nickname that was given to Herod. So the paranoid, controlling, protective, spiteful Herod. And I'm sure the people were like, "Mm, quiet. Stop saying that. Stop saying the new king of the Jews. Verse 3, King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. Now, of course, word gets back to Herod, that, and Matthew says that he was deeply disturbed. Of course he was. Of course he was deeply disturbed. But it also says everyone in Jerusalem was as well. Now, that's not because they didn't want a new king of the Jews. They didn't like the so-called king of the Jews that they had. But because when Herod's paranoia surfaces, People lose their lives. So if Herod's disturbed, everyone is disturbed. It's a dangerous situation. And now he's on borrowed time. And he's trying to tie up all these loose ends as far as his legacy goes. And now this, this was a dangerous situation for everyone, not just for the toddler kings of the south, but for everyone. It says, he called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of the religious law and asked them, Where is this Messiah supposed to be born? Now imagine getting called into that meeting. Some of you know what it's like to be called into the principal's office when you were younger. Or maybe, maybe a little too well. And you know, even when you get called to the principal's office, you're thinking to yourself, I didn't even do anything. I don't know why I'm going down here. But you also are assuming I'm, I'm probably in trouble for something I don't even realize. And so these religious leaders and these priests get called into this meeting. And then he asks this question that quietly infuriates his audience. He brings the priests and the religious leaders in and he asks them, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? Now they were already resentful that their Jewish nation was run by a non-Jew who liked to refer himself as the king of the Jews. And yet this king of the Jews doesn't know the most basic fact, a fact that every young Jewish boy would know and learn growing up. The question he was asking had been answered a long time ago in the ancient scriptures. It's almost like in Canada, our prime minister asking what animal is on the nickel. I'm like, how are you the leader of our nation and not know this? Now, though, was not the time to remind him of his ignorance, especially when he was in this sort of mood. So they replied, in Bethlehem of Judea, they said, for this is what the prophet wrote. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the ruling cities of Judah, for a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd for my people. Herod's listening to this, and he's getting agitated and a little bit antsy. And it says Then Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men. And he learned from them the time when the, the star first appeared, and he told them Go to Bethlehem and search for this child. And when you find him, come back and tell me so that I can worship him too. After this interview, the wise men went their way, and the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. And went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house, and they saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. They bowed down and worshipped him. Now, as we said before, worship is not just merely singing. Sometimes within the church culture, we have just minimized this word to mean singing. Worship is recognizing that I am in the presence of someone that, that should cause me to have awe. And then that awe brings a physical response. And sometimes that physical response is singing. Sometimes that physical response is kneeling, or bowing, or being quiet, or shouting, or dancing. Sometimes it's how I conduct myself. Sometimes it's the words in which I speak. All show my worship for this person. But these magi, these wealthy, prestigious men who have traveled a very long distance, show up and find a toddler, and they immediately bow down and worship him because of who they believe he is. Meanwhile... 10.3 10.3 kilometers north, Herod anxiously awaits the return of the Magi with their report. Now, for sure, he told the Magi he, could worship, he would worship the king too, but 70-year-old, paranoid, nearing death, in pain, concerned about legacy, Herod was not about to drop to his knees for anyone or anything. Which leads me to my earlier statement. Maybe there's a little bit of Herod in all of us. Because I'm I'm like you. I like the idea of God in my life. I, I like going to church or watching a sermon online, especially when it proves to be beneficial to me, especially if it promises to make my life better. But this idea of unconditionally surrendering everything to him, giving him full control, complete and absolute surrender... That just, it doesn't come natural. And I want to hold on to control. I want to have the final say in things that it's concerning my life. So maybe there's a little more Herod in me than I like to admit. Let's continue verse 12. When it was time to leave, they returned to their own country by another route, for God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. After the wise men were gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up. Flee to Egypt with the child and his mother, the angel said. Stay there until I tell you to return, because Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. That night, Joseph left for Egypt with the child and Mary, his mother. Herod was furious when he realized that the wise men had outwitted him. And as we've discovered, when Herod was furious, everyone was in danger. Because Herod had spent his whole life getting to where he was. He had wined and dined the people he needed to he had used his political charm to get in with the people that he needed to get in with he'd eliminated all threats controlled every outcome at every turn and no matter what had happened he'd always figured a way to control the outcome so that he remained on top and so now he hears about this baby and he uses his political charm and cunning with the wise men and now he has been outsmarted because You can outsmart people, you can manipulate situations, but you can never outsmart and manipulate God. And so furious, Herod gives orders to his soldiers that were so disturbing, shocking, unless you understand who Herod actually is, and realize that he will stop at nothing to control and protect his place. He goes on and says, He sent soldiers to kill all the boys in and around Bethlehem who were two years old and under based on the wise men's report of the star's first appearance. It was a terrible day. Families were ravaged. Now, Bethlehem was small. and Some biblical scholars estimate that between seven and 20 boys, young boys, were lost based on the population estimates around that time. It's thought after About a year within that tragedy, Herod finally passed away. A slow, painful death due to this kidney disease. But before he did, he had all the prestigious men within the community all rounded up and arrested. And he gave an order that the very moment within the hour that he dies, that all of them would be executed. He wanted to make sure that there was mourning throughout the city on the day of his death, because very few would actually mourn his death. He was that despised. More likely, there would have been a celebration surrounding his death. Again, right up until the last moment, he was trying to control the outcomes and protect his legacy. Verse 19 says, When Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt. Get up, the angel said. Take the child and his mother back to the land of Israel, because those who were trying to kill the child are dead. Now, here's what's interesting about all of that. Herod was known as Herod the Great. And he did some great things. He built great structures and cities. He was a great politician. He was a great manipulator. He was a great protector of his legacy. But if you and I could talk to Herod today and tell him about how his legacy has held up, it might not be what he wants to hear. Herod, here's the good news. 2,000 years later, we're still talking about you. Your name has not died. Records of your life have not faded away. In public schools all over the world, kids will put on plays in December where you are one of the characters. People all over the world in languages you've never heard of will read about you, to which he would likely say, that is fantastic, exactly what I'd always hoped for. But hold on, Herod, wait. You're not the star of the story. You're a background character. The the kids play, the the story that we read at Christmas, the narrative is about, well, well, remember that little baby that you tried to kill? He's the star. He's the focus. It's about his glory. It's about how he became the king of the Jews. And there's a part in there about how you failed. You're just a footnote in a story about a toddler who became a king who became the savior of the world. And Herod, when people talk about you, they don't talk about your buildings or your political achievements. They don't refer to you as Herod the Great or even the King of the Jews. You will be known as Herod the the Not-So-Great, Herod the, the Butcher. And Herod, here's the worst part. You were 10.3 kilometers away from God in human flesh, and you missed him. You were so concerned about being in control that you lost your opportunity to truly worship the King of Kings. let's fast forward 80 years. 80 years gone by, Herod's long gone. Jesus has come and gone. Joseph's gone, Mary's gone, Caesar's gone, even the temple has been destroyed. The Christmas story is now in the past and everyone who was associated with it. And John, one of Jesus' disciples, he sits down to write his gospel, and we talked about this last week. He's an old man at this point. He promised Jesus that he would take care of Mary until her death, and and he did. And John looks back on his life and He takes into account this whole Christmas story. Mary's given John her account of it. And Mary's likely given all the details she could, but she also shares the pain she felt when news got back to her that Herod eliminated all the babies in Bethlehem in an attempt to wipe out her son. And she's lived with that knowledge for years, and he knows the story in great detail. And with all that knowledge... John comes to the conclusion, in him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. You see, we, he would tell you, I, we, thought, we thought he was coming to save the Jews. We thought he was an Israel savior. But We later discovered he was, he was the light of the world. He was the light of all mankind. And John would tell you, I saw God in human form. And he walked among the sinners. And he interrupted the darkness. And everywhere he went, he brought life and he brought light. Past tense. But then he makes the transition to let you and I know that that light continues to shine today. Verse 5 says, The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness shall not overcome it. See, John, with all his perspective, with all he's seen, with the execution of his friends fresh in his mind, with the crucifixion of his Savior burned in his memory, with the cries of mothers who watched their sons snatched from them, with images of the temple burned to the ground, John says it's not like the darkness hasn't tried. I mean, at times it looked like the darkness had won. But in the midst of it all, the darker it got, the brighter the light shines. Which leads me to this question. What character... Will you be in the Christmas story? When it comes to the relation to the light of the world, what will be your story? Will you be like Herod, spending your days trying to build your own kingdom, unwilling to give up control, protecting what you have, pushing away anyone or anything that threatens your place, all the while the Savior of the world is close by? Or will your story look like mary and joseph who had an attitude towards god of yes god the answer is yes now what is the question two people who gave away everything because they knew what they had was not theirs to begin with i think we all want to say i'm a mary i'm a joseph but here's where the tension is there's a little bit of herod in all of us See, when it comes to legacy, one day you will pass from this world and someone, somewhere will tell your story as it relates to the light. What story do you want them to tell? That you were an ambitious person who was able to control all the outcomes, but ultimately missed out what was truly important, even though Jesus was close? Or do you want them to talk about how You gave everything and worshipped the light of the world. And because you did, you were a light in their world. Here's the good news. John said light shines in the darkness and darkness has not overcome it. And maybe that's your story. Maybe you have drifted away from God. Or maybe you're you're listening today and even though you're listening you still have doubts about god because at one point you were sure of the existence of god but today if you're honest you don't like to tell people this or other christians but you're a little more hopeful than you are confident yet here you are listening and despite all you've experienced despite all the times that your prayers were not answered despite all the times that People who were supposed to be Christians didn't act like Christians. Despite everything that you've seen, everything you've experienced, all that darkness has not overcome the light that is in you. It's why you're here today. It's why this message is kind of getting on your nerves. It's why you find yourself having conversations with a God that you wonder is still there. It's because the The darkness cannot overcome the light. So this Christmas, my prayer for you is that you will see the significance of this toddler king. Pain and heartache and hard times didn't disappear when he arrived on this earth. That day is coming. But God sent light to the world. A light that the darkness cannot overcome. Let us pray. God, first of all, we thank you for sending your son, Jesus, to this earth to die on the cross for us. And God, the reason that you sent your son as a baby was because you wanted to reconcile your relationship with us. and You sent the perfect lamb into this earth in the middle of a dark, dark time, in the middle of our sin. And God, as John wrote, the darkness will not overcome. That despite everything that's happened and everything that will happen, the light continues to shine. And so today I pray for those that are there and they have doubt, they're not sure exactly who you are or what you are. I would pray, God, that they would just continue to to seek. They'd be like the wise men, just... Intent on finding the truth, God, I pray that for that little part of each of us that has a hard time giving up control, that little part of Herod in each of us, God, I I, I pray that we would see that ultimately, when we we lose our lives, we gain more than more through that, God. When when we give you complete and absolute control, you have our best interests in mind at all times, and. And so today, God, I pray that you would be the light in the middle of our darkness. That this Christmas we would discover the light of the world. And we ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen.